the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. It is time to act for seafarers. Safe ship operations and crew well-being should not be compromised. The humanitarian crisis that seafarers face has implications for us all, for the world economy and for safety of life at sea and the environment. Not my words. This was part of the opening address that the International Maritime Organization Secretary General Mr Kitak Lim gave yesterday. He's our guest on this week's podcast. He was talking at this week's Crew Change Summit where we saw a dozen countries pledge to speed up efforts to get hundreds of thousands of stranded crew home after they've been stuck at sea for many months due to the coronavirus. Accurate numbers are hard to come by, in itself a telling indictment of the attention being paid to seafarers right now, but we know that some 200,000 seafarers are affected. The most optimistic assessments we can get hold of suggest that less than 30% of crew rotations are taking place on a monthly basis. Many have been at sea for longer than the 11-month limit laid out by the Maritime Labour Convention. Mental health issues are rife and suicides at sea are becoming an alarming outcome of this hidden humanitarian crisis. Now, before we go to the IMO Secretary General, I wanted to bring in our markets editor, Michelle Vesey-Bockman, to help me unpack this week's events and reflect on what's been going on behind the scenes. Welcome back to the podcast, Michelle. Hi, Richard. So we've had a busy week, uh, an impressive joint statement from ministers pledging action as we will get to shortly. But are we now confident that the uh, the message is getting through? Uh, there seems to be uh, you know, a, a degree of confidence from industry officials and politicians that they have finally paid heed to the uh, many months of warnings that the industry has been issuing and are going to be acting. Uh, you wrote a, a leader for Lloyd's List this week where it's fair to say you were probably a little bit more sceptical that these pledges are going to be resulting in action. What's, what's your take on the situation? Well, you know, I'd like to paraphrase um, Captain Kubis Sabinski from Intermanager, the Ship Managers Association, and his response was, it's all bullshit. Hot air. It really, I mean, it's feel good, fuzzy stuff. You know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Nothing's been happening. I mean, this this, this is what always happens with shipping. There's lots and lots of, you know, this is terrible, poor seafarers, and then status quo nothing happens so i'm kind of i'm kind of um cynical but i'm also angry that shipping doesn't have a voice or an established lobby group that is capable of ending this massive humanitarian crisis i mean it is you know hundreds of thousands of people stuck on a ship they cannot leave and nothing can be done for them so that's that's how I feel about it. And, and I'm sure that um, there are many others that feel the same way that haven't been at all these meetings where, you know, all that I've seen that's emanating from them is is hot air and statements. You are reflecting the frustration that we have heard from many of those at the uh, coalface of the industry. Uh, the reality for, for seafarers is they have heard these pledges. They have heard the news stories saying the governments will act. They've heard about the green lanes being imposed and the many uh, good steps being taken forward by uh, countries like Singapore and Hong Kong, trying their best to clear the blockages. But the reality is, as we know, 
less than 30% of crew have been able to uh, get where they need to be. And then there's the crew that haven't yet to join the ships themselves. Many crew yeah. are sat at home, and these are the ones we often forget in this conversation. It's not just those that are stuck at sea, it's those that are trying to get to sea to earn a living. And there has been a systematic blockage in the process that sees crew change over. And there are implications for trade, there are implications for safety, there are implications for the whole of industry. But we need to boil this down to the fact that this is about people. This is about the hundreds of thousands of crew aboard the ships, the backbone of globalized trade. And these are the ones that are bearing the brunt of the diplomatic and bureaucratic blockages that seem to be as yet uh, undealt with. And while we see the government uh, uh, the government's acting, and you know, many uh, welcome words yesterday in in the uh, the UK-led summit. Uh, and I had a call with uh, many of the participants directly after they finished. And uh, I have to say that the uh, the overwhelming uh, response was positive. That you know, a, a corner has been turned. But they were the first to admit that you know, th this will still take many many months to unravel. And that's the reality well, we're dealing with here. Well, well, firstly, I mean, so, some of the really practical things that need to happen is regular at least twice daily flights from some of the, the main um, seafarer countries into um, places where crew changes are meant to be happening. That's not in place. Secondly, you need immigration and port authorities and health authorities coordinated. That's not happening. Thirdly, you need seafarers to be designated key worker status. So, and then that be applied fairly and um, consistently around around um, a crew change. Mm. That's not happening. You need consuls. Consuls aren't open. Visas can't be got. I mean, there there are so many small things that could be changed that are going to make a large difference for seafarers. Um, I think there were fifteen governments that attended this summit. How many of those? have actually designated sea, seafarers as key workers to, you know, that that's a start. Um, I don't think um, we even have a list of which governments actually attended in the statement, much less, you know, a, a, a designation status for them. We know, we know who attended. We know there were 15 uh, governments represented in the call. We know 13 of them signed the pledge and there is uh, some optimism I would say that that list will grow over the coming days and weeks and to the extent that I think there is a genuine uh, push now at a, a senior government level at least within the governments that were attending to actually make a change on many of those specific points that you raise and if you read the joint uh, ministerial statement that came out of that meeting they do detail many of those issues albeit caveated with uh, recommend and exactly. uh, you know, the usual uh, weasel words of, of diplomacy and politics. However, um, it is a step in the right direction. The question is why it has taken quite this long to get to the stage that government ministers are even uh, addressing this in 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 a caveated response. Um, and the reality was was laid clear to me in the call afterwards, where. We had uh, the French minister turning up and, and making uh, statements that they will be uh, acting on behalf of the government to uh, uh, address this issue. And in the same meeting, it was raised that the French uh, border controls 
were not going to be accepting seafarers visas uh, for the following week due to a bureaucratic hurdle at their end. So, you know, the the reality between, uh, you know, diplomatic statements and acceptance that there is a problem and the reality on the ground where often confusion is rife between departments and the actual port authorities and border control and immigration and transport. um, That's the the issue, not the political uh, acceptance at the top. It's it's how you get uh, action on the ground that is the issue. Well, then, well, here's a great example that I had brought to my attention this week. Uh, There was a bulk carrier that called at Port Hedland, Australia, uh, last month, and it was um, detained because I think a number of the seafarers had expired licences and it was deemed that the vessel probably wasn't safe to sail, which is entirely, entirely true. You cannot leave seafarers working 24-7 for months and months and, you know, beyond 12 months is unacceptable, 14 months is, I mean, just crazy. Anyway, um, so this ship has been detained for safety reasons. However, how do you get to replace the crew in Australia? You have to have them quarantined for two weeks once they get there. Well, this so is, this how can you problem. plan? No, and I don't think you can. And I think one of the, the efforts that we made this week was to put all our coverage in front of the paywall to make sure that this was – uh, an issue that was being shared beyond the echo chamber of shipping, but also because what we wanted to do was put a human face on on many of these stories. And we asked our, our readership, you know, across Twitter and LinkedIn and various other social media channels to, uh, you know, give us some videos, give us some stories uh, that we can use to amplify this message. And I'll just read you one of the responses we've had already this week uh, from uh, an operations department at a, at a, a ship manager, well-respected ship manager. He says... The problems, stresses of stranded crews on board vessels are huge. The Herculean task of finding open corridors to perform crew changes are few and far between, with added costs, quarantining, ever-changing procedures at ports, and having to charter flights in order to be able to get personnel from and to vessels, in as well as dedicated vessels in our fleet to shuttle them around the most remote regions. To put in, to you in perspective, between Singapore and Exa, There is only one small island port that allows crew changes, Port Reunion. And as many companies have realized, this island has been overwhelmed with vessels calling there. So he goes on to detail, you know, the um, the the minutiae of why the, um, the 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 statements from governments that have made the right steps just aren't being filtered through to the ground. And there are just daily bureaucratic hurdles that are preventing any of these things happening, even for those who are prepared to put in, as he puts it, the Herculean task of, of going above and beyond in order to actually get these ships to the right places so they can then get their crews off. There are huge implications here in terms of safety, in terms of the, uh, the you know, the actual operations of the ship, as well as the crew themselves. Agreed. And I think that's why we need to shine a spotlight on all these small things, because if you would have, you know, if, if you would tell that to a minister, um, they would say, oh, let, let me do something about it. But but they can't. The, these things need to be fixed and they need to be fixed from the ground up. And we need to put a face on the people that need it fixed because it, it's just it's not right. Um, you know, we're clapping for carers and we're acknowledging so many key workers for what they're doing. But we're not acknowledging seafarers and they really do need a voice now. This has gone on too, too long. It has. It has. And. A shout out to all of our regular listeners. We know there are many of you out there across the world that regularly tune into this. We're calling for your help. Uh, We want to give a voice and a face to this 
humanitarian crisis at sea. And we're asking for seafarers, ship managers, crewing agencies, ship charities, anybody that has access to seafarers to help us tell your stories. Use your phone, record a 30 minute, uh, a 30 second uh, vignette of your own experience. We will then embed these uh, pieces of video in our coverage and make sure that the decision makers who read our stories uh, are seeing that this is a debate that is framed within the context of human lives. It is massively important that we put a face to this, and we really think that by using Lloyd's List reach, we can make a difference. So to all those listening, please log on to Lloyd's List, uh, find us at, at Lloyd's List on Twitter, find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Lloyd's List Ed, uh, or Michelle is there as well, prominently tweeting about this on a daily basis. Get in touch, we need your help. Uh, with that, Michelle, um, thank you again for, for joining the podcast. We're going to move on to uh, the IMO Secretary General next. But thank you. Thank you, Richard. So, Secretary General, thank you for joining the Lloyd's List podcast to talk about this. I, I know it's a, an issue that's close to your heart and the subject of many months of work within the IMO, but I want to get your thoughts on this latest series of commitments from countries that we saw coming out of the summit this week. But more generally, I want to ask you why this is still an issue, because uh, you've been issuing regular statements on this issue for many months uh, since the beginning of May. Uh, you've backed the industry protocols. You've intervened with a series of bilateral and multilateral meetings. We're now in July and seemingly very little has changed. Why? Could you could you give us an overview of what the blockages are and why you think this is still a problem? Uh, thank you, uh, Richard, for the inviting me to this uh, session. And uh, first of all, I would like to, as other uh, are mentioning, to describe this uh, situation. Definitely, it is an unprecedented situation. It is called a pandemic. It is a very similar like a wartime. It is a war against the very pandemic virus situation. Having said that, you mentioned the uh, some series of action taken by IMO and other UN agencies starting from uh, March. I would uh, in short describe in this way. When you are boiling, when you're heating something waters like, it takes time by heating step by step until it reaches boiling point. Now, I feel, and based on certain relevant information, we reach a certain momentum to boil the water, boiling point. So, based on all relevant activities, circular data protocol by IMO and the WHO, other IRO, other all UN agencies, particularly triggered by the industry group, ICS, you know, uh, BIMCONI, and uh, the ITF, Port, IPH, IAPH, others. Those industry group has been working hard. And then UN agencies, including IMO, has been doing our utmost effort. Now, on top of that, recently, just actually uh, end of last month, the ILO organized a ministerial meeting, mainly from a labor minister of a member state, some selected members. They have been group meeting with uh, the ILO, which uh, I believe is positive. 
On top of that, I have been myself having bilateral meeting one by one. It is a really diplomatic and technical so strategic meeting. But what I felt, it's moving already. It's moving. Now it's reaching already past the boiling point. As I mentioned, it is a wartime around the world, pandemic, level of capacity to tackle the virus is different from country by country in terms of economic, social capacity. That's different. However, at the same time, the people and the government of individual countries, they, you know, suffering pandemic to deal with uh, like uh, domestic health, quarantine, like uh, those issues to, to save their people. So in line with that effort, they are obliged to think about the shipping issues as well. So, but at the moment, I would like to mention IMO is one of the UN agencies. IMO is a UN agencies. It's consisted of a member government, member state. So what is what can be done by individual member state? It is actually belongs to sovereign right of their member state, respect to the port area, particular port area. But we have a certain international regulation like MLC, others, you know, IMO, SDSW. But the basically in port area, actually it is a, like a sovereign right is prevailing according to the UN convention. However, I believe UN agencies and all industry group has been doing utmost effort, but it definitely looks slow until progress taking place. It really can be, it can look slow, definitely. However, thanks to those efforts, we already getting momentum to facilitate this situation. This is my, my, my feeling. So I am ourselves, we are talking a lot. We set up a special team, look up to this one, communicate with the industry group, is a devoted, uh, you know, uh, contribution from IMO staff together with members. Oh, IMO members, they paying a lot of attention to these issues, but now it's a take, it is starting to jump up to make a progress. Definitely mm. is a, some changes taking place. But uh, at this moment, I have to mention to the all the CFRs working around the world, around the world, I would like to express my deepest sympathy to all the CPRs. I recall my time when I was a seaman at the sea. I recall time calling different ports, you know, feel isolated, lonely from, from a long distance from a family member. I know that situation. That's why I really express my whole the sympathies and to the old CPRs for the suffering this, this situation. But, you know, uh, I would just uh, like to say we have to work together and we will continue double our effort to deal with this one. I want to continue to have a bilateral meeting, definitely thanks to the support of member state, based on dialogue, certain changes is taking place. Mm. Really, really, I, I would say change is taking place. So that is what uh, I can say at the moment. No, understood, and uh, thank you for you know for making that clear. It's understood that the IMO is uh, engaging in this, but you know there is a limitation to the uh, the actions that the IMO can take beyond 
working with its member state governments. I think what is clear from our reporting around the subject is there is no singular problem. What we have is uh, several very complicated uh, political and domestic issues at play. We have a perfect storm of red tape, regulatory uh, confusion uh, at, a, at a domestic level uh, and certainly at a port level, uh, we often find that there is issues of um, border control, not agreeing with immigration, immigration not necessarily paying heed to the direction from transport departments. And overall, that results in blockages and um, you know, issues for ship owners, seafarers and crew being able to enact what has technically been agreed by the member states at a senior level. What we don't have access to is the discussions that you are having at a very senior level. Now, we know that this is one of uh, an issue of uh, political practicalities. It's an issue of political leverage in many respects. What's the the general um, tenor of, of the conversation that you're having at a senior level with these member state governments? And where do they see the blockages? Is there is there a practical problem here or is this simply just one of uh, being able to coordinate one of many problems at the same time. Could you give us any insight in terms of what? Uh, actually, well, th thank for the uh, raising that aspect. I the, uh, would like to say two aspects. Uh, one is uh, overall like uh, system, systematic approach by a member state uh, tackling these issues. Uh, taking care of all different uh, functions, quarantine, transportation, and security, all you know issues getting involved in that area. So it is uh, beyond the one ministry. When it comes to the high-level dialogue, political will, I believe definitely those ministries who are in charge of the shipping and maritime, many cases the transport minister, Transport Ministry, in, in terms of the CFRS shipping issues, they have to work as a contact focal point within individual countries. They have to be encouraged by the uh, outside or themselves, our union, CFRS union, shipping company, etc. They have to work as a focal point, connecting with the quarantine health organization and connecting the, uh, the uh, aviation side as well connecting with the seaport side. So they have to establish certain green lane between seaport airport. And, uh, but also they also they have a limitation. So uh, the awareness has, be, has improved a lot, dramatically recent, particularly recently. Uh, uh, and uh, one other aspect I would like to mention, Apart from the uh, systematic approach uh, from by the AA government, uh, you know, there is in at individual countries, they have overall government policy to tackle this uh, coronavirus, okay? But we are talking about the CPRs under within the certain overall frame of their strategy, how to reflect, reflect these safer issues into their strategy. This is key issues. Okay, now we have been working high level and what we are doing and what we are strengthening, we are going to communicate to the with the working level as well, yeah. like a port authority, etc. 
Understood, understood. And, you know, we, we accept that it is very complicated and it is necessarily going to be one of those issues that is going to require an, uh, a, a multilateral agency approach, uh, you know, on an international level, but also on a domestic level. What this really showcases, to my mind, though, is the fact that shipping is one of many issues being addressed here. And it rather highlights the fact that shipping lacks a voice, it lacks a political leverage, and it is in a long queue of problems, probably one of the last to be addressed. Um, do you have any concerns about the visibility of shipping? It's something that you've spoken about many times during your, uh, at, uh, as, you know, your time as Secretary General, is that um, we have to do better as an industry to showcase what the industry does and the reality of how globalized trade works. It seems clear that to some extent, and in certain quarters, shipping is largely forgotten, and it's the seafarers that are bearing the brunt of that lack of visibility right now. Uh, actually, uh, I would say in short, in terms of the nature of a shipping business activities, compared to like aviation and the land like uh, transportation, shipping is uh, less visible, no doubt because of the nature of the business, okay. You, you see uh, what, what I'm talking about. Aviation, you know, every single uh, political leader, they, have, uh, they can experience every time they're taking air flight to go to domestic or international trade, uh, travel as well. But the shipping is, can be uh, less visible, okay. However, the, we, if we connect our shipping activities Looking at the global supply chain, logistic point of view, shipping can be more visible. That's why the IMO has been promoting, enhancing collaboration with the port industry so that the shipping can be believed crucial part of the global supply chain. Now, visibility is getting, getting better, getting better. However, but I would like to say at this moment, we are suffering the shipping and the seafarers, particularly suffering coronavirus, huge, tremendous difficulties. However, we need to take this advantage to make shipping seafarers more visible. So we need the additional campaign by means of this situation, make shipping more visible. So we need certain more strategies on these issues. One, IMO, IMO is going to strengthen our effort, our attention, more attention on the seafarers issues. You know, this is a sort of a, a legacy of a very difficult, this kind of pandemic situation. So we will strengthen and also we will reflect this situation into our technical cooperation program. So we are starting, we are going to start the virtual meeting, regional meeting, aware the uh, uh, improve awareness of CFRS this, under this situation. So we are going to implement, diversify the strategy to promote awareness and the visibility of the shipping. So we can make, take this advantage of this opportunity to raise awareness of shipping. So we work together. So uh, I'm looking forward a close collaboration with the media as well. We need your help as well. Oh. Thank you. Kitek Lim, Secretary General of the International Maritime Organization. Thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. Okay. Thank you, Richard.